step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the music city. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Welcome to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, Kenny Adams behind the glass taking care of us. So always we appreciate Kenny. I'm looking forward to bump music tonight, Glenn. I am too. I'm, I'm looking so- forward to delivering it. Oh yeah. And well- also, Justin, I don't know if I've ever told you this. You have the best hello welcome on the show well thank you every single week it's so thank enthusiastic. Thank you. I mean, we we gotta bring some positivity, right? I know, between the his music and your hello. I'm ready to go. We make a good team. Oh, that, we do. that rhymed as well. I know. I'm so good. <laughs> well, first of all, I want to send a big congratulations out to Terry Crisp, inducted to the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. Big for mm-hmm. him. I know they had him on Slapshot Radio in the previous hour, so good to hear from him and the glad that he's staying safe. As yes. well, up in Canada. Yes. He's been doing things from afar. <laughs> he's always been a Hall of Famer in our eyes, right? Always. Always. <laughs> always. So big congratulations to him. But we do have a loaded show tonight. Excited just to talk about the things that touch us at the core, which is growing the game of hockey and talking about things that aren't just pros. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because we love talking about how we can grow the game of hockey and how we can continue to look at prospects and the draft and things of that sort that we want to, to look at because that's going to be coming up sooner than we know. I mean, it's September. Oh, my gosh. It is already. Hey, you know, usually training camp is right around the corner from now. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you remember? I play, I'm i not joking. I played that song six times yesterday. I bet you did. And then I just ended up letting the Best of Earth, Wind, and Fire play while I was cooking. That's fantastic. Because why it's not? It's just feel-good music. Yeah. But weird, weird stuff going on with tra- usually training camp. And then until draft's not even going to be till October 9, 10. Tentatively. I keep having to say tentatively. We don't Virtually. even know when free agency is <laughs> going to start. It's just after the draft sometime. Mm-hmm. And training camps are penciled in around November 17th. Ugh, just time. in time for my birthday, <laughs> training camp to start. <laughs> but what we're going to have tonight after this segment, we're going to talk about the Black Girl Hockey Club. We have Dr. Tanisha Singleton that will join us to talk about the scholarship programs they have to grow the game of hockey, um, talk about diversity in hockey as well, and just how we can continue to grow and expand the game because we all love the game. We want more people to be able to play the game and have access to the game. And then after that, Chris Peters of ESPN will join us to talk about prospects in the NHL draft. I mean, well, we've been in kind of draft preparation mode since the end of the qualifying round because boom, boom. <laughs> what else are we going to focus on? <laughs> so, th- so there's that. But currently in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you have one team that has totally made it through right now, and that's the Tampa Bay Lightning, taking care of the Boston Bruins in five games. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay is playing with such a chip on their shoulder right now because of what happened last year. And they do this without Steven Stamkos as well which yeah. has been very curious, too. just shows how loaded Tampa Bay is. And it's still, even though Eisman's been away, it's still the team that Eisman built. shows that how good of a general manager he was to put that team together mm-hmm. and basically let it out for, here, go be successful. Exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, and so many people, we all watch so closely to, to watch that happen. And now we're starting to really see that unfold. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty impressive. And I, I listened to uh, Tyler Johnson. He, he said, 
well, no, we don't really, we don't really think about, we don't really think about any last year. And they're like, I think somewhere in the back of your mind, uh-huh. you probably do. You totally do. Don't lie. Don't, don't lie, lie to us. Don't lie. You're not just in the moment. <laughs> and then in, in the West, Vegas and Vancouver, really cool story out of that series because Thatcher Demko made his, made a start and got the win for the Vancouver Canucks in game five, two, one over Vegas and forcing it now a game six. But the big thing is that he's a rookie. He's a first California born goaltender to get a win like that too. I love that. That's I love cool. stories like that. I love stories yeah. like that too, especially when it's the first because you've just seen how much the game the game has grown yep. and we're seeing it definitely grow in California because let me three NHL teams there and then you have you know, Gretzky played in LA and just what's happened in Southern California. You see so many kids coming out of those areas of the country now too, so it's great to see that. And continuing on in the West going on about now Dallas and Colorado, which I'm surprised with this series. I expected more out of Colorado overall. But what I'm seeing out of Dallas is they have veteran capabilities mm-hmm. and they have depth as well. And I think they finally have kicked it into the right gear, whereas Colorado I think, don't think has the depth yet. But yeah. they're going to be scary for years to come. Oh, yeah, they are. Really and I mean, scary. Colorado's have a did, they've had to dig in deep in their goaltending. And so it's just been a it's been it's been fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. I mean, we're starting to see that that veteran presence in Dallas that. Yeah. We, that for how many years is everybody like, man, they just, I, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> they make sense. And but- Al- Alexander Radulov being one of the veteran presences there. Oh, wow. I know. And saying the right things it's in his post game interview. It's, it's like 2020. Even if I'm not contributing as, as long as I can do something to help the team win or, mm-hmm. you know, it's a team effort. We don't have to contribute every night. We have people stepping up. I mean, he's talking like a leader. Yeah. And you go back to, you know, a few years ago. What a year. What a time to be alive right now. What, what a time. And then. The, the series that's been interesting, the New York Islanders, Philadelphia Flyers, Barry Trotz. This one's been fun. The Islanders lead the Flyers 3-2. I mean, they had the opportunity to put them out, but weren't able to. But Barry Trotz, and the question keeps coming up. I know Adam Vingen had a, had a piece on this in The Athletic, and we talked about it in Preds Insiders on Monday. But Barry Trotz, what he's been able to do with teams, including the Nashville Predators, just couldn't get over that hump because the team wasn't spending as much then when he was under you know in, in control of this team. But Barry Trotz is one of the one of the best coaches, and I would put in the top three coaches in the league right now, mm-hmm. because doubt, yeah. of longevity, what he's accomplished right now too. And given when you give him talent, what he's able to do with that, look what he did with blue collar talent for the National Predators organization for so many years. Mm-hmm. He made them at least competitive in a playoff team. They were never a Stanley Cup contender. There may be a Stanley Cup contender one or two years, mm-hmm. but it just didn't work out. They faced the San Jose Sharks in that one year. Forsberg, Peter Forsberg, got had his injury. All, all then they kind of put their all in then was probably the year like, okay, maybe there should be some talk about going past the second round for this team. Other than that, the majority of time Barry Trotz was here was just to make the playoffs and you're happy. Mm-hmm. That all changed, obviously, when Peter Laviolette came in. It was, okay, this team's going to be a cup contender. They're spending to the cap now. Yep. All those things changed. Well, he goes to Washington, a team that had not made the playoffs the previous year, goes and, well, wins a round, but then takes him on to the Stanley Cup. Then they don't renew him. They want to pay the man. He goes to the Islanders, who had missed the playoffs two seasons in a row. And last year, they sweep the Penguins mm-hmm. in the first round. Then, then they go out. But now, what they're able to do, too, and proving what they're able to accomplish, is that they're one game away from the conference final for the Eastern Conference. And Barry Trotz is doing this when the Islanders recently, and I say recently because you still have to bounce back from it, lost John Tavares, who was the face of the franchise. So he's been able to take the talent there. Not that they're undeserving of talent because they have plenty of high picks there, but it's a very young team with some veteran presence. And also Mitch Korn has done his 
big duty there with getting goaltending to look amazing. But Barry Trotz is just setting himself in NHL history for being mm-hmm. one of the best. I mean, yeah. he's one of the few active coaches that has coached over 1,600 games and is still active, has a cup. And if he had been given more talent in his time in Nashville, I think he would have had more cups. Yeah, I think you you said it right, and you said it right last week when you just said, you know, it's they weren't spending to the cap to get to get that team that they needed. So absolutely, he could have won. But um, anywho, I want to switch gears really quick. Okay, we're going to go super super local. Okay. So uh, <laughs> uh, junior travel hockey is starting up soon, Justin. You know this, and you just joined recently. Total package hockey full-time and we have not talked about this on the show so it seems very relevant (laughs) to bring this up right now um so i just kind of want to get overall for for a lot of people that don't even know what total total package hockey is i want to kind of get overall synopsis from you and then what your role in that is yeah so i just joined total package hockey as a marketing communications coordinator focusing on uh, public relations content curation things of that sort but they do so much in so many cities. I mean, 14 different markets across the country, and we're talking plenty of quote-unquote non-traditional, previously non-traditional areas to plenty of traditional areas. So they're in Nashville, they're in Huntsville, Atlanta, down in Florida, Phoenix, St. Louis, Detroit, uh, all through the Midwest as well. So it's, it's great to see. But what they do a lot of is they focus on balance of education and athletics. And that's what's really cool. For instance, here in Nashville, they're part of the Nashville Junior Predators, where J.P. Dumont, former National Predator, was named the Director of Hockey Operation just a few weeks ago. And you can see that interview on PenaltyBoxRadio.com. And the Junior Predators actually start up this weekend with their big tournament. And so that's really exciting for them because you have the 1800s, the 1600s, the 1400s, the 1300s all taking place. And they're taking on teams from Ohio, teams from Florida. So you have the AAA Blue Jackets coming in, the Florida Alliance coming in, the Brandon Bulls coming in, and all this weekend it's the big Labor Day kickoff for this season for them. And I'm I'm excited because I'm learning so much about another tier of hockey. I mean, here we focus a lot, obviously, on the NHL, on minor leagues, on junior leagues, college hockey, high school hockey. But I've never dived into the junior hockey aspect of travel. Obviously, plenty of major juniors, mm-hmm. but not the traditional, the travel juniors that, that we're seeing so much where a lot of talent actually is. And in Nashville, I mean, I think it's a total of 17 teams wow. <laughs> with yeah. the Nashville Junior yeah. Predators, two girls teams, and mm-hmm. the rest are boys teams. And it's so great to see the growth of hockey because they focus on education with what they call the center of excellence, mm-hmm. where they're balancing. It's basically a home school for athletes, and it's not just hockey. So they have plenty of uh, lacrosse players, golfers, tennis. On on those sports that aren't necessarily large team sports, mm-hmm. where they can really focus. And so you're getting they're getting an education as well as getting time set aside for them to practice, for them to be in shape, for them to train as well. So it's like a, mm-hmm. a non-boarding school boarding school. <laughs> yeah, well, I love that because it's it's oftentimes when we talk about this, it's kind of like how do you marry the two? How do right. you how do you let those kids know the emphasis on this and then also there's an emphasis on this? So it's, it's awesome to hear that that's where that, that gap is bridged. It is, and what's really cool is that they're basically trying to create a path for these student-athletes to go on to play Division One. Mm-hmm. college athletics mm-hmm. because they keep on hiring people in that have followed these paths of, well, they played junior hockey, then they went to play in the North American juniors, but then they went on to play college hockey and then they had a, a pro career and all these different cities are hiring these, these folks that have taken this career. Mm-hmm. And so you, when you see about the balance of athletics and academics and how they're able to pass this along to these kids, it's just building more and more hockey players in these markets. So it's one of those things that, you know, 
that if you have a child and you want to get them involved even more at a higher level of, mm-hmm. of elite hockey play, they have these opportunities there for them to get coaching from people that have gone through it all. Yeah. And there's no better way. Talk about growing the game. Growing I mean. the game. It's like, oh, you want to go play D1 college hockey? Well, that's the route that I did. Exactly. Here's so I can tell you, oh, you want to be, be able to play in the American Hockey League? Oh, I did that. I played college hockey before that, too. Mm-hmm. So they're doing a lot of those things, and it's been pretty cool to see. They've had plenty of alums get drafted or go on to play Division One, and it just continues to grow, and it's just celebrating its 19th anniversary this year. Uh, so just really proud to be a part of that now and what we can do to grow the game and keep growing the game and and focus on the balance of athletics and academics because it's it's such an important balance to have and we know it's important for these kids to have it too yeah you definitely landed in the right place there i think so <laughs> i think so i think it suits you just <laughs> fine jb well, well thank you thank you mm-hmm. so much appreciate you being letting me be able to talk about that because it's about growing the game yeah so i know you won't be able to watch it go to the rinks to watch it folks here in nashville but yeah the national junior predator is getting up and going this weekend so really excited for that to go in and plenty of stories to tell from those kids as well so up next, let's dive into more about growing the game of hockey. We have Tanisha Singleton of Black Girl Hockey Club coming to join us next here on Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025, The Game. Back to Penalty Box here here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Kenny. Man, I always go long from breaks because I just love what you're playing, man. I'm sorry. I know it's kind of running things over no, a little bit, but I just no. feel I'm sorry. You do not apologize for that. If we Justin and I forget to go back on one day, you're just going to have to bang on the glass because we might just be... I we might you. have our eyes closed while we're dancing. I know, but. <laughs> well, folks, we are really, really excited to have our next guest on, especially when it comes to growing the game. You know, we've been about this since our inception here, about growing the game and, and diversity and inclusion. So joining us now is Dr. Tanisha Singleton. She's a board member of Black Girl Hockey Club. Tanisha, welcome to the show. Thank you. I was jamming, too. I'm like, hey, why'd you cut it? Can we just have that running in the background? That's See? Good. There we go. There we go. Kenny knows how to pick them. That's for he sure. He does good I'm for playing. us around yeah. here. Well done. Well done. <laughs> so, Tanisha, I mean, first, I guess we'll just start off with, because so many people out there are still learning about what this organization is and what it does. Mm-hmm. So what is the Black Girl Hockey Club and what is it doing to to grow the sport of hockey? Yeah, well, thank you for having me and and for your dedication and, you know, and and making this a a strong initiative and wanting to share that with your audience continually. So big ups to you guys and props. Um, But Black Girl Hockey Club, it's a nonprofit organization, you know, and we focus on making hockey more inclusive for black women and our family and our friends and our allies. You know, it's um, a collective group of advocates and, you know, and we want to be able to make a difference. And we know that that starts with education, that starts with representation and building a community. And it's actually only been around for a couple of years. Renee is our founder um, and just all-around guru, which is absolutely tremendous. And, you know, she started the organization in 2018, and it kind of just started as like an organic manifestation, right? Like fans servicing themselves and making a community because she recognized that no one was doing it for us, right? Like kind of a for us, by us idea. But it's taken it to the, another level um, of just being fully inclusive um, and recognizing that there are tremendous gaps in how things have, you know, quote, always been. Uh, and these things, you know, they may not necessarily be a product of, like, 
explicitly racist or discriminatory, you know, intent, but the results are still the same, you know, and that's that the black community, especially women, feel left out. We feel neglected, completely overlooked and dismissed uh, when looking at how hockey culture has been marketed. And so I found the company um, on Twitter, you know, a couple of years ago, I just saw this hashtag, Black Girl Hockey Club. It came up on my feed. And, you know, I'm just an all-around sports fan jock girl, right? Like, I watch everything pretty much. And NHL, like, never really uh, appealed to me, honestly, like, growing up, especially because the season runs concurrently with the NBA. And so – but I have always noticed that, like, yo, playoffs, there's nothing like it. I, it it's always tremendous. And so I kind of, you know, would watch when the playoffs were happening. Um, and – I lived in L.A. at the time, and I saw that Black Girl Hockey Club was having a local meetup, um, and it was for the when the Golden Knights were at Staples Center playing the Kings. This was actually last year, which feels like forever ago right now, um, <laughs> the beginning of this season technically. And so I went, met up with them, and the most beautiful part was that everyone there wearing Black Girl Hockey, Girl, uh, Black Girl Hockey Club stuff, Men, women, all ages, black, white, Hispanic, gay, lesbian, straight, like it didn't matter. It was everyone. It was so inclusive and it was the most beautiful stuff that I had ever seen. And we were just taking pictures. It was a, it was a complete community. And so that, that's what we're about. And we've been able to um, grow and become officially licensed as a nonprofit out of, you know, registered in California. And we're doing what we can to, to get the message out there. And Tanisha, I'm fascinated at how you've integrated your day-to-day profession, which is a media psychologist, and that yeah. in and of itself is fascinating to me, especially in 2020. You know, we're pretty much living in an almost completely digital world right now, but it's yeah. fascinating to me how you've integrated that into your role in the programming committee with Black Girl Hockey. And so mm-hmm. for those that are unfamiliar with what media psychology is, I'd love to hear what it means to you and how you incorporate that into your work with them and the value that that brings to the organization. Sure. Yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting because I joined the Ph.D. program to get my Ph.D. in media psychology back in 2013. So back then when I was, you know, I already had my master's in uh, new media production and screenwriting and, you know, a bachelor's in film and radio from like UC Santa Cruz. And uh, sports was always my jam, though. That was an area that I always wanted to get more invested and interested in because I noticed that digital media was becoming much more integrated into sports. It was increasing the sport experience. And I realized, like, I couldn't watch a game without live tweeting it now, right? Like, even if I'm at a game, I've got my phone because I want to take a picture. I want to take a selfie. I want to capture that moment. Like, digital integration into sports is really about boosting that experience, right? It's not about replacing the human experience. It's about boosting it, being a complement, more like a utility or tool. How can we use this to optimize something? So media psychology, you know, it's founded in psychology, but you're really focusing on the human experience, consumer behavior, what motivates us. And you look, and when you look at patterns between like media consumption, right, what you watch, why you watch, when you watch it, and human behavior, what are the patterns there? Like, what are you doing? What are you feeling when you're doing something? Like, what experience are you seeking, like, when you open up Twitter or Instagram or something like that, or when you're binge-watching something? Do you have FOMO? Is there that fear of missing out, right? Like, everybody's talking about, you know, uh, Lovecraft or, or Dim Thrones or something. It's like, oh, okay, I want to be a part of that conversation. So digital media becomes that water cooler, right? That digital water cooler, that virtual sports bar that everyone can talk to in real time. And so now we've recognized that you've got 
professional sports leagues now integrating that or at least becoming aware, right? You've got hashtag hockey Twitter, right? You've got NBA Twitter, you know, MMA Twitter. Like there's organic communities now that pro leagues and some and collegiate are recognizing like, yo, this is where we need to be in order to increase the experience for fans of all demographics in all communities. And you can learn something by, you know, at least embracing innovation that way. Because Black Girl Hockey Club, that's where it started, right? It was our own organic community that started on Twitter because we wanted to speak with other black women fans. We want, I, I knew I wasn't the only one, right? So where do I go? And so it's become that, that window to look out and find, like, other like-minded folks and other fans that are like, oh, damn, like, I'm not the only one. Oh, this is cool. Like, all of a sudden, now you can get some esteem and stuff. So, yes, in my day job as, as a faculty member and teaching classes on community psychology, sports communication, um, and, and, and general media psychology, it's like, yeah, we've been able to, or at least I've been able to build a curriculum all about inclusion, community, uh, and where new media and emerging technology can help amplify those types of things and connections. Oh, we could talk to you all night. Um, <laughs> seriously, we want to. Um, I recently watched Kimberly Davis speak on a panel. Um, and for our audience, yeah. Kim Davis, for the audience, is Senior Executive VP at the NHL. She uh-huh. works very closely with Gary Bettman on social impact and growth initiatives. She talked about, and like you mentioned a little bit ago, the educating people. And she talked about how unsexy that is. It's not very flashy, um, uh-huh. but that's the changing of the culture. And she said something that I found rather promising. She said... I'm not having to force feed these conversations to clubs down their throats. Some of them are approaching me asking, how can we be better? And so in a sport where this conversation has rarely ever happened, the fact that it's happening now and clubs are reaching out to the NHL asking, are you seeing that same kind of openness to the growth Mm -hmm. within the work that you're doing with Black Girl Hockey at this point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I believe on that same panel, Renee was there um, talking about, like, you know, we are sport and, and looking at, you know, social change and growth mm-hmm. initiatives. And it is something that um, we want to be able to maintain as an asset and resource for clubs at the youth, collegiate, you know, and, and professional level for the NHL um, and the Olympics. Like, hell, um, this is a global thing. And this problem, you know, isn't going to be solved over a couple of days. Um, you know, I'm here in Las Vegas now, and so we know after uh, the Jacob Blake shooting, you know, um, the NBA led the charge and being postponed for a couple of days. I know, uh, you know, NHL did the same thing, and I believe it was that the Golden Knights-Vancouver game, and so they had that press conference that was, you know, out here in Vegas, and Ryan Reeves was like, hey, we know that nothing's going to happen in 48 hours, but we know this is a powerful conversation and one that hockey needs to be a part of, too. You know, and, and, and he even recognized, he's like, hey, there's a bunch of, you know, professional athlete white guys behind me right now who have never had to deal with these types of things. But this is a conversation that we want to be a part of in creating implements of change that can be sustainable. You know, this is something that isn't going to be solved overnight because I, I, it, that is a part of the relearning. And where part of the frustration is, too, where it's like, okay, we know that there's a problem with racism and discrimination against black people. It's exhausting and it's tiring, but we can't all, we can't be, we didn't create the problem, right? So you can't expect black people to not only suffer from the problem, but now be responsible for fixing it too. Like, that's not fair. Like, this isn't everyone's thing. Like, and everyone needs to do their part. So Black Girl Hockey Club, we do want to be one of those go-to resources and, and you know, nonprofit organizations that, that 
the hockey levels at all um, across the board can go to um, enable to find new means of creating change within their own individual community. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, Dr. Tanisha Singleton, board member for Black Girl Hockey Club, joining us on Penalty Box Radio. And Tanisha, before I have to let you go, there's a scholarship fund that is uh, for Black Girl Hockey Club that's helping to grow the game by covering seasonal costs for hockey to to really grow the game there. If you could tell us just a little bit more about that scholarship, how people can find out about it and how they can be involved to help support it as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, If you go to blackgirlhockeyclub.org, You'll have all of our scholarship information there under programs. But the gist of it is, yes, just like you said, we've established this program to help subsidize some of the costs um, of playing hockey because we know that that is an expensive sport to play. And so we want to be able to um, to help offset some of the costs um, for for everyone, particularly black women, uh, that, so that they can pursue their interest in hockey because it's often so underrepresented. And so we we actually just finished. The deadline just passed for the fall application, but we are accepting applications for the winter scholarship. So that deadline is December 31st. So again, the website or the application is on the website at blackgirlhockeyclub.org. Um, and yeah, and the, the eligibility requ- criteria just be in good academic standing and be registered on a seasonal hockey team. And you can nominate yourself, or if you know someone who might be a little too humble <laughs> and just want to <laughs> try and um, apply themselves, you can nominate someone. So the application and stuff is all on there, and we thrive on our donors who are absolutely tremendous. So um, because we are officially registered as a nonprofit, um, all donations are tax deductible, which is always cool. So we encourage all of our allies of social justice, supporters of diversity inclusion to help donate. And, and we have several different tiers and with donor perks and swags that come along. Um, you know, get you a nice Black Girl Hot Club t-shirt with some apple puffs, cornrows and stuff. It all looks good. So... But we want to um, also just shout out, like, everyone to contribute in any way. And that's from $1 to 1000 Fan the corporate. Don't matter. We recognize, appreciate, and value each and every person who gives us a shout and wants to contribute in the best way that they can. So all that information, again, is on our website, blackgirlhockeyclub.org. And before we let you go, Tanisha, I just want to say it's very easy for people to put phrases on a jumbotron or jump on board uh, a marketing campaign <laughs> or whatever it is. But it really, truly is that day-to-day belief system that's being challenged and changed right now. And you all are doing just amazing work from a grassroots level through your scholarships, through relationship building and educating. Yeah. So. I mean, through Black Girl Hockey, Justin and I are able to talk to you tonight and recognize ways for us to become better allies and given resourceful ways that we can help continue to grow the game. So I truly, truly want to thank you so much for making time to chat with us tonight. The conversation is necessary and it's incredibly beneficial. So thank you. Thank you. I can't appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Thank you. That's Dr. Tanisha Singleton, Black Girl Hockey Club, board member there. More information at blackgirlhockeyclub.org, especially in the scholarship information there, too. Nominate folks in the community. You know, it's a great way to get them out there, even supporting hockey camps. You know, if you have mm-hmm. someone that's interested in a hockey camp that maybe not be sure of it, but it's about introducing people to the sport and introducing uh, more diversity to the sport as well, because we absolutely need it to help grow the game that we love. So blackgirlhockeyclub.org. Okay, up next, we're discussing the NHL draft and prospects with Chris Peters of ESPN here on Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025 The Game. i
back to Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025 The Game, Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, uh, producer Kenny. Y'all are missing out. Y'all miss out on Justin singing these songs, and I just hate it. One of these days, I just want to put the mic on where he doesn't know it. And just listen to him jam it out real fast. <laughs> I know y- y'all it's don't so want to hear good. that. Y'all, yeah, you, you do. No. It's so good. No, 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 no. This is sports talk. <laughs> this it's is, good. This is me, try- this is me not trying out for AGT. Uh, <laughs> all right. Ne- up next, Chris Peters, friend of the show, hashtag friend of the show, of ESPN, <laughs> joining us right now to talk NHL draft and prospects. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Always good to be with you. Absolutely. So first of all, I mean, I'm just glad that you and yours are okay following the the, the Direco that mm-hmm. hit a few weeks ago because we had that experience uh, a couple months ago here in Nashville and it became like the, the the meteorological word of the year, it seems. How weird to yeah. have two big things like that happen in the span of a year for the U.S. I, I know. It's it's wild. I mean, like, I'd never never heard of it. And, yeah, we had – you know, I'm just south of Cedar Rapids, and luckily for, for us, we didn't get it as bad as they did. And, you know, the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders in the USHL, the arena, mm-hmm. got ripped up a bit uh, by – uh, by the storm, and you know they they said that they had you know winds up to a, upwards of 140 miles an hour. That which I mean is like Category Four hurricane essentially without the storm surge uh, with water. You know, so uh, thankfully there wasn't any water because that would have made things a lot worse. But yeah, I mean it was it was tough going. It's going to be a long road back for a lot of people in uh, throughout Iowa and in parts of Nebraska and even Illinois. So um, yeah, luckily we're fine and and. And yeah, hoping hoping we have brighter days ahead because uh, 2020 keeps uh, keeps hitting us pretty hard. Yeah, and it's still us trying to get used to that the draft is going to be in mid October. <laughs> Just thinking right. about that, and especially because that's when we're starting to see. I mean, college seasons potentially starting. I mean, some of them are still going to go, and then what we see, junior hockey as well. Still, potentially, we're all hoping obviously is, is going to go. So when we're looking at this with kids having to wait this long for the draft. Overall, just how is this affecting preparation for the draft for those kids that are draft eligible right now? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's well, it's it's certainly not ideal, and I mean, it, it it's also the the fact that you know the, you're limited with what you're able to do, you know, skating and trying to stay ready and stay in shape and stay, you know, not everybody's got a home gym, not everybody, you know, there there are a lot of hurdles that I think these players have to overcome, and so that's a mental grind on its own and then the fact that whenever the season does return it'll be a much longer off season than we had and and, and certainly for some of these guys that you know they missed out on last impressions at the CHL playoffs and the world under 18 championship and the draft combine and things like that where you know you these these kind of events where they can be separating factors for a variety of reasons and you know it's it's hard on the players it's hard on the teams uh, you know I, I think some of the players have have made the decision or at least you know Alexi Lafreniere the number one projected pick for this year you know said that he will not play in the QMJHL he won't go to uh Europe so he's hoping that he can you know jump right into the NHL and and be ready for that um but you know most other players will be playing uh you know the guys in Europe are already starting their season the SHL is in preseason right now in Sweden. The KHL had their opener today, um, so those guys are are full go, and and they're they're hoping that maybe they'll be able to make uh, a lasting you know good impression. But that's a tough decision for scouts to say. How much do we put into the beginning of this season uh, in this unique situation, and 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 how much do we rely on what we saw that you know is now months old video footage 
um, and, and things can change over the course of those months. And Chris, drilling down, kind of looking into players that might be available at 11th, Jack Quinn's name has floated around quite a bit as a possible pick for Nashville. Um, he's one of two players who scored at least 50 goals in the OHL this season. Having seen the questionable inconsistency that the Nashville organization lately has seen, hypothetically speaking, if that scenario presented itself and he were to join this organization, further down the line, what do you think he'd be bringing to this team? Uh, goals. I mean, I think this kid's a natural scorer. I think he's got a great shot. You know, one of the, one of the best shots in the draft this year. Um, I think one thing that he really improved this season that I thought popped more was you know just his hands, his skill, his ability to create a little bit more on his own. Um, you know, he's he's uh, he's got a good. You know, he's not a big guy, but he's got a good sturdy frame. He gets to the middle of the ice extremely well at the junior level. He's going to have to bulk up and and. and you know, get ready for that at the NHL level. It's a lot different getting to the middle there. But, you know, we see a lot of these guys that can rack up goals in junior and they're scoring from, you know, the perimeter. They're scoring, you know, so you start, you have concerns about that when you see that. That's not really a concern with Jack Quinn. He can score at the net front. He can score from distance, um, you know, and so he has that ability. So I think that, you know, he made a real late push over the course of the, the season uh, of what was left of it. He, you know, I mean, the, the Eastern Conference in the OHL, which Ottawa plays in, is not necessarily the strongest. I think that there's a very big discrepancy between the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference, uh, at least presently. And so it wasn't surprising to see him put up big numbers. But I think that the way that he scored is really what's important. And, and that's a guy, you know, in, in my most recent mock draft, that's who I have going to, to Nashville. I think that there's a good chance he will be available there. Uh, but I know that there are at least some people that think he could go in the top 10, um, possibly even ahead of teammate Marco Rossi, which would be very interesting seeing as he was leading scorer in the, in the OHL this season uh, points-wise. So a lot of different things come into play, but he's uh, certainly intriguing. And Dawson Mercer is another name that's kind of buzzing around Nashville, about the same size as Quinn, versatile center who's easily able to jump on the wing. Whether or not this ends up being a pick for Nashville, where do you see his game heading and what is he likely to bring to any organization that he lands in? Yeah, you know, he's such a versatile player. He, he, he has a great work ethic, great motor, good speed. You know, I think that's important. He plays the game at a fast pace. Um, you know, he made Canada's junior team as, as more of a depth guy, kind of a fourth-line player. But, you know, in, in the QMJHL, he's a top six forward. Um, you know, he gives you some good defensive value. I think he can play wing. He can play center. Um, you know, he's got a good, ho- good hockey sense, good vision. You know, I think the, the thing that really stands out to me is just his ability to make decisions that, and, and the pace at which he's able to make those decisions. Because, you know, to play fast, you can't just skate fast. You have to think the game uh, very fast. And I think that's one of the things that he does. And, you know, he, he seems kind of like a Nashville-style player. You know, like he, 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 I think he would fit in well there because it's a push the pace, you know, kind of get, get after you a bit. Um, and, you know, I, I, think, <laughs> I think if Peter Laviolette was still around, he probably would uh, – <laughs> would be salivating over a guy like that. But, but I, I mean, certainly John Hines uh, uh, loves guys that have that work ethic that, uh, that Dawson Mercer possesses as well. And Chris Peters, ESPN, join us here on Penalty Box Radio. And Chris, looking throughout this, I mean, it's a fairly deep draft, what we're seeing, and it's good for the Predators just keeping it real here at home, with the, keeping their first-round pick, two seconds, two-thirds. But are there any players out there that stand out to you that would not be a good fit for the National Predators that you think, uh, it'd be really risky for them to pick this guy if he's available at number 11? 
Yeah, well, you know, I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to kind of see what's available. Like the the fact of the matter is, is that the consensus really drops off after one. Mm-hmm. So we don't know, you know, how the rest of the order is going to go. You know, I, I think most of us assume that Quentin Byfield and Tim Stutzler are going to go in the second and third picks in whatever order potentially. And then after that, it it gets a little bit uh, more difficult to to kind of see. But I, I think you know one of the things I mentioned about you know. Uh, with 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 Jack Quinn is you know his ability to get to the middle, middle of the ice. I think one of the guys that that you know could be available in that range, he would have to slip a little bit. Is Alexander Holtz? Like I see him, and it's hard for me to you know even though I see him in a Swedish jersey and you know they're they're beautiful gold jerseys, I, it's hard for me to see him in a National Predators jersey. Um, you know, but he he has good size. He can shoot. You know, he, he can play. But I think he's a little bit too on on the perimeter at times. And he, you know, I'd, I'd like to see him get more aggressive more physical. I think that, you know, he'd be a guy that could potentially try a coach's patience at times. Um, I still think he's an immense talent and his goal scoring ability um, certainly has him high on my list still, but I think that that would be an interesting kind of decision there. Um, you know, I think uh, the, the, the need for, for a quality, quality center, you say Anton Lundell is another player that could be there. You know, he's, he's more of a two way center, uh, he's not exactly, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of flash, doesn't have a lot of, 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 you know, kind of excitement in terms of skill, but he, he's a very effective, efficient player. Like, I think that that would be a safe pick in that range, but not necessarily the most impactful pick that you could make there. So those are guys that are, you know, I, I certainly, I would not fault them for picking those players. This <laughs> is for, you know, I think, I think a lot of people have seen, kind of what the Predators have right now, and they, they want that dynamic scoring talent. They want somebody that can really change the game offensively. You know, I think that they're, they're, those guys don't necessarily do that enough. But, like, you know, say you get lucky and a Marco Rossi falls or, there, or Jack Quinn is available um, or, you know, by some act of God, Cole Perfetti is there. You know, like those are, those are things that, that kind of would make – yeah, a little bit more excited. But, I mean, the good news is, is that Philip Tomasino is on the way, too. So, uh, and that's a dynamic player. I think, you know, I think he'll he'll, he'll be a guy that's worth getting excited about. Um, and, and I also think, you know, it, it wouldn't make a ton of sense for, for Nashville if, let's say, Jamie, Jamie Drysdale, Jake Sanderson, I don't think they would fall that far. But, you know, I don't think that a defenseman is necessarily the play, given the, the depth of talent at forward right now. Well, that would make plenty of Nashville fans roll their eyes if it was another defenseman. Even if they are still a really good pick, it'd still make them roll their eyes here in Nashville. <laughs> so before we have to let you go, you had an article come about about the Tampa Bay Lightning and building a perennial contender, and a huge chunk of this article is on homegrown talent. And obviously we mm-hmm. see how important the draft is in drafting and finding talent, not obviously in the first round, but in later rounds or even in the second and third round. We see a lot of that with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and it just shows how it takes time to build a contender. So uh, we'll put your general manager hat on as well and say over the course of a couple of years, what do you think is most important in terms of drafting if you're trying to build a contender for years down the road? What types of players do you think are important for a team to have, knowing that, hey, they're not going to make an impact immediately, but we know that in three, four years they could be the, the core of this team? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that, that really stood out to me about Tampa is is the, the mid-round hits that you have. And, and Tampa's first-round drafting, not great, honestly. I mean, outside of Victor Hedman – and, and Steven Stamkos, who predated Steve Eiserman, you know, they had they did not have very many first round draft picks, not with the exception of Andre Vasilevsky, that are still with the team. They were either traded or they didn't really pan out. 
um, uh, out there. So, so you know, you you look at guys like a Braden Point, and Braden Point is is one of those players that now is a star, but was not perceived that that would what he would be a, a good middle six forward. Same with Anthony Sorelli. You need players like that that are good two way players, guys that that might be undervalued at the draft that that might not have had impeccable numbers in junior or had some deficiency, whether it be size or, or that maybe there was a hitch in their skating or anything like that. You know, those are the types of players that you, you can, you can get value for in mid round situations. Now, you know, you have to have to be a little bit lucky, obviously, to get those players. Andre Palat, for instance, the seventh round draft pick, Tyler Johnson and, and Yanni Gord were undrafted players. And, And I, you know, the predators have been, somewhat aggressive on, on the college free agent market, but they haven't landed the big fish typically in terms of guys that college and, and, and junior free agents. Um, they've, they've, they have had, you know, some good picks in the draft over the, over time. Obviously they're very good at drafting defensemen um, and, and maybe less so at forward. But I mean, like I think a Phil Tomasino is kind of one of those guys that's a future core, core player um, who will be able to, you know, kind of be one of those, types where you, you you know maybe like a Braden point type where you know I, I don't know I don't want to project him out like that's not really a great comp <laughs> for him in terms of what he can be but just in terms of impact I mean if he if you get that out of him you're you're obviously thrilled um, and, and then you know just the amount of money that they have spent um, you know kind of keeping their guys there's you know the advantage the tax advantages which are obviously really helpful for teams in those tax in those states, and if I'm not mistaken, Tennessee is one of them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you know, so that helps. And then, yeah, it, it's the, the thing that was fascinating to me is they really only they had all that homegrown talent. Their top six is entirely drafted by drafted or signed as a free agent by Tampa, um, and then their decor is almost built entirely through free agency, where it was just kind of you know bargains like Kevin Shattenkirk. So. You have to get a little bit lucky on that end too. The guy, the right guys come available at the right times, and they want to be part of what what you what you have going there. So, um, you know, it's it's hard to be specific because I think it just it every draft year changes. But you know, we get enamored with always wanting to take the big swings in the draft and drafting stars, and I think that's good. But you, there are ways to find NHL talent in drafts. It's just you can't go through drafts and not land a, like an NHL player in a draft, it kills you down the line. And you need players that are going to play on entry-level contracts early, like Anthony Sorelli is, and like a traded player like Mikhail Sergachev, who, who they traded Jonathan Duran, who was the number three overall pick. I mean, let's imagine Seth Jones in Tampa at this point. You know? <laughs> like if that, that, uh, that would make a lot of people uh, a sick if it was Hedman and Jones on that blue line right now. But, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing how things work out over time. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that Nashville in, in general has built a pretty good thing, and there's, there's, there's something there. Now you just have to kind of figure out what are the pieces that we can do to, to improve this, and, and there are certainly guys that you need to put them over the top as well. Absolutely. Well, Chris, as always, we appreciate your insight. Always love having you on the show, man, so really appreciate you coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, folks. Chris Peters of ESPN has so much knowledge, it is ridiculous when it comes to prospects and the mm-hmm. NHL draft. Always love having him on the show. So if you miss any of that, we'll have that on PenaltyBoxRadio.com as well. Okay, up next, we have plenty of questions to answer from you. Some hockey, some not hockey. You're in Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game.
back to Comedy Box Radio, ESPN, one to five the game. Just shake it off. I feel seen. I feel heard. <laughs> Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Candy taking care of us. And I just, I just always feel better when I leave the studio with that music playing, man. I do too, especially when it was T-Swift. If I can Y'all know that, that's yeah. my girl. Yeah. You cannot go wrong with Tay-Tay. Nope, Mm-mm. you can't. Mm-mm. That new album is fire, too. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay, we only have a little bit of time left. We'll get to some questions. Uh, Sarah is asking, this is a good one, as venues are beginning to reopen in Nashville, what do you think is the future for allowing fans at home games? So here's the big thing. I mean, we see some places being able to allow fans in. I think we've seen NASCAR be able to do it, and you think how big NASCAR stay up. Uh, tracks are with usually seeing a hundred thousand they allow fifteen thousand that's a very small percentage it's fifteen percent mm-hmm. of it but the big thing was what it's going to come to is not during the game or getting people in it's more so exit strategy extra what a term <laughs> we've uh, heard so many yeah. so many thrown around in so many different ways but exit strategy of how are you going to get the fans out of the arena safely mm-hmm. when it comes to social distancing things like that if Places and venues can look at ways for that. You can obviously be in an arena and be socially distant with a Yeah, you can percentage. always have seating arrangements. Yeah, and that. this is for college football as well that hold 100,000, 90,000. If you only have 10, 15%, it's easy for you to be distant during a game. It's mm-hmm. all about the, the, excuse me, the crowd after the game. Yeah. That's the big thing. So if they can come out with a way to safely get people exited mm-hmm. from an arena or stadium Fairly quickly because everybody's well, yeah. going to be like time, time, and it time, won't time. be you know it won't be seventeen thousand plus people. Right, it'll be less than that, so it'll be a little bit more manageable. But yeah, you'd have to you'd have to line that up properly to get people out. So. Exactly. Okay, Boyd is asking how many rookies in the Preds twenty twenty one opening lineup. He said he has almost four: Tomasino, Tolvanen, Trennan, Pitlick, Carrier. I think there's going to be four. I would say at least four in the opening night lineup. I think Tomasino will be there. Uh, Tolvanen, because he'll still be considered a rookie, given number of games played. Uh, I think Carrier will be on the team. Uh, Pitlick, I think, will be there, and Trennan as well. Um, so that's five then. Yeah. <laughs> and you might even throw a Lard in there. Remember, opening at rosters mean they're not necessarily playing. They could be healthy scratches, but that's what I think. Yeah. I mean, you're go close, to having, close to having all four T's. Got, got to go Young. Tolvanen, Trennan. Got to go Young. Okay, James Maples asks, would you rather fight to the death the Keebler Elves or Rice Krispies, Snap, Crackle, and Pop. Uh, I do not want to take on Snap, Crackle, and Pop. They have a lot of energy. Yeah. I mean, look at their name, Snap, Crackle, and Pop. They're going to pop you. Yeah. Uh, so I think I'd take on the Keebler Elves, even though they have a lot of magic, and they might pour some of that hot fudge. Uh, hey, I would just, I would love that. I would eat that. I was going to say Elves because they're like, I'm, I'm fighting somebody my own size. Oh. I'm like, these oh my are my gosh. people. Uh, okay. This is my be- <laughs> this is my fight. Cat <laughs> uh, is asking, "Do you like your cereal crunchy or soggy? Crunchy? Oh, crunchy, crunchy, for sure. Crunchy, got to be crunchy." Jonah asks, "Is a good pork chop better than a good steak?" No, no. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I love a good pork chop. Cooked I some pork chops from Porter Road last night, mm-hmm. and they're delicious. But a good steak is a good steak, and just that flavor from the marbling is absolutely phenomenal to have. So I'm sorry, steak. Jonah. I got to disagree with you. Uh, Dan is asking, "Will or should Shuri replace?" Uh, be a, the new Black Panther? That is a really difficult question because I think they want more development out of this character for for Black Panther. And just Chadwick Boseman's passing hit me pretty hard, just being a Marvel fan, but also knowing the hero that he was to so many people and what he meant for representation and, and seeing what he went through when he was visiting children's hospitals. And so I think it's a tough character to replace. If you divide that, I would be fine if they 
recast in the right manner because it's years down the road. Shuri, by comic book standards, was Black Panther for a while as well, but I, want, I would need the character developed from her even a little bit more too. Um, but it'd be great to see her in that role, given how she's so intellectual, uh, what she what she would mean for representation as well for her. So I know I'm getting into Marvel terms, but uh, that <laughs> to, to me, there, there's so much to, to dissect there as well. But I just know that the movie Black Panther meant so much to so many and that it was a very, very important film. And Chadwick Boseman is a tragic loss to just mm-hmm. society in terms of what he did with what he was given. So mm-hmm. hate that. What a life lived. What a, a very, very much a life lived. So. Thank you so much for everyone for tuning in Penalty Box Radio. Big thanks to producer Kenny for taking care of behind the glass, always with the great beats. For Glenn Blackwell, this is Justin Bradford. You can catch anything you miss on PenaltyBoxRadio.com. This has been Penalty Box Radio on ESPN 1025 The Game.